This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, and welcome to Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post political podcast. I'm Jerry Scott, the Yorkshire Post Westminster correspondent, and today I'm joined by Nick Lowes, CEO of Hope Not Hate, and Patrick Hermanson, who's also a researcher at Hope Not Hate. Thanks so much for joining me, guys. Really good to be here. Well, the reason we got you here is because in the last week, you guys have released your State of Hate report. And Nick, can you tell me a bit about what the report is? Yeah, so this year our State of Hate report is 140 pages long and it's basically an assessment of the political far right in this country. And it's hefty, isn't it? I um, printed out a copy when we reported on it and, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a hefty, heavy document. Yeah, I mean, 140 pages, it's our biggest yet. OK. Um, and that partly, I, I guess, partly reflects the growing and diverse threat that we're facing, but also um, we've got such a great research team and they, they deliver so many good stories as well. Yeah, absolutely. And Patrick, you're one of those researchers. What what kind of goes into putting this report together? So first of all, it's just daily monitoring um, in and out every day for um, the past year. So we've already started gathering things that will go into the next report. Oh, so wow. We, we monitor... Um, everything that we can find interesting. So new new groups, um, changes in rhetoric, um, big events, demonstrations, um, everything that might be, be interesting. Uh, and then towards the end of the year, we start to kind of put that together and start to see major trends, major threats. Um, and we try to boil that down and explain that. So this is monitoring the far right, isn't it? What, what constitutes someone being far right? So, I mean, our, our kind of definition is that it's um, a group a group or ideas that um, either take a kind of anti-immigrant um, nature or the kind of demonisation of the other that has a kind of nationalistic tone to it, um, often a kind of sense of superiority okay. over somebody else or, or a different group. I mean, obviously, the definition of far-right is, is quite broad now. You know, when I first started many, many years ago... In a way, the far right scene in Britain was skinheads, Nazis, mm-hmm, yep. thugs on the street. You're kind of stereotypical, um, but obviously now it, it is very different. You know, you'd still have the kind of hardline Nazis and the anti-Semites, but also you have people who would be appalled to consider themselves as Nazis, but but you know deploy um, racist rhetoric or anti-immigrant rhetoric, or more more importantly, over the last few years. Uh, more significantly, kind of anti-Muslim rhetoric as well. Okay. Um, so you know, it is, it is a very broad term, but but we 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 have a kind of measurement that we we make sure that everyone in the report, all the organisations and all the people, kind of uh, cross our threshold. Because it's interesting, isn't it? One of the things that you know, I I covered your report when it came out, and one of the pushbacks that we got was, well, are these people really far right, or do they just have views that people don't like? And what would you say to that? Well, I mean, I think, look, we we are really careful. Being concerned around immigration, being concerned around changing society, 
look, we don't consider that that kind of those ideas far far mm-hmm. uh, far right. You know, people have every right to feel concerned about things or have different views on immigration. Um, but what what we do focus on are those groups who try to whip up hatred. Okay. Those groups who try to demonise through lying about about you know. So for example, let's say on anti-Muslim hatred. Yeah. You know, there are many people who have concerns about changing Britain and communities and integration, and that's that's understandable and fine. But that that's quite different from a group that tries to say Islam is a supremacist religion. They're out to get us. They're out to take over. You know, there's no difference between you know the minority who are terrorists with the mainstream Muslim society. You know, to us, those people cross a threshold mm-hmm. because they're trying to stir up trouble and demonise and stigmatise a whole community for the actions of a few. So, you know, we we are very careful that we we do not um, attack people or organisations that just have a right wing view on. Sure things like immigration. Absolutely and one of the findings which I found really interesting in the report wasn't it that the kind of online hate that's being whipped up and you guys found didn't you that that in some cases that may well be inspiring far-right terrorism as well. What what can you tell me about that? Well, I mean, certainly one of the features we've been seeing over a number of years now is the growth of um, extreme content online mm. Um, and in a way, you have it on all political extremes. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Devices is on this side as well. But, you know, online has become a forum and, and a way for the real extremists to kind of propagate their ideas in a way that they weren't able to before. You know, people can be anonymized, people can, in a way, act out their fantasies or whatever. Um, but certainly, there's been a big uptake, um, uptick. In, in the more extreme sites, particularly using kind of encrypted platforms. And, you know, one of the worrying things we highlight in the report is that the kind of ages of some of the people accessing this material and then getting arrested or get convicted for terrorist offences in this country are getting younger and younger. Yeah. You know, last year, 12 people, 12 far-right sympathisers were convicted of terrorism, terror-related charges. You know, five were teenagers and two were 16 or under. So, God, that's, you know, that's so worrying. scary. Yeah. That's worrying. It's really worrying. And we... You know, we spoke last week, didn't we, Nick, about about this, and we were talking about how that plays into Yorkshire because, you know, a couple of uh, YouTubers that you guys have identified are based in Yorkshire, and there have also been a few real kind of life demonstrations on Yorkshire's streets in the last few years. And you've obviously got a bit of experience having been in Leeds yourself. And what what can you tell me about how this relates to our part of the world? I mean, I think you know. I mean. There's probably two two elements to this. There's the kind of the real hardcore online actors sure. who can be anywhere in Britain, anywhere in the world. Yeah. You know, Patrick would be great about talking about those and the profiles. But then I think you know the, the thing with Yorkshire, obviously, it has been it has long been um, a focus for far right activity. Yeah. So I guess we're talking like places like Jewsbury and things like that, yeah, are we? And, yeah. And in the sense of you know, in a way, unfortunately, you do have many divided communities. Mm-hmm. You've obviously got large kind of Muslim communities, and then you know that that's been exploited, and there's tensions and there's integration issues. Um, but kind of go, going back 30, 40 years, you know, there's parts of Yorkshire that have always had a kind of um, far-right tradition because, and they've been able to tap into lo- local cases. Obviously, the grooming cases over the yeah. last few years has been used extens- extensively from the far-right. We also had the riots in Bradford in 2001. So so in a, in the sense of, I think, there, as I say, there are two things happening. There's the, you know, Yorkshire is home to a few of the key individuals, um, both the YouTubers, but also some of the more violent terrorist groups, okay. like uh, 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 National Action. Mm-hmm. But also, there's there's the kind of groundswell 
of, of support that they tap into um, and the kind of political groups uh, tap into in, in some of the communities. How interesting. It seems to me like you have these concentrated areas and then, like you're saying, you've also got these online actors who, like you say, could be anywhere in the world. You said, Patrick, you might have some say on that. What have you found with that? Yeah, but what we're finding is that British activists have a huge impact abroad. Really? Um, How interesting. Because of the English language, of course. But um, for some, the majority of their audience is actually in the US. Wow. um, And mainland Europe as well. But we also find the other way that we we got Swedish people, German people, French and Americans who um, have huge followings here in the UK. Um, And when we monitor these kind of really extreme groups, um, they might not be explicit of where they are even. Um, They just create an account where they push out terrorist propaganda, uh, but they're not explicit about where they are. They want to get people from anywhere because they don't actually have to meet. Um, so people are recruited and become members, you know, however we define that, but associate themselves with the group. Um, but they might not even be on the same continent. And does that uh, make that it easier? Out. Because, you know, you would think if we're talking about, you know, you mentioned National Action as a group there, or maybe more traditional in, you know, air quotes, far-right groups. I suppose previously, before the internet being such a massive part of our lives, you would have to physically, you know, go to a meeting, physically contact exactly. someone, physically sign up. Does this, does you know, this proliferation of people online in wherever country they are, does it make it easier for people to kind of subscribe to these views? Yeah, I mean, first of all, just the cost and the risk yeah. of, of being part of it becomes so much lower. Um, meeting somebody in real life uh, is risky yeah. when, when it's uh, extremist uh, political ideas. It could lead to. Legal action, of course. Yeah, or yeah. counter protest, things or like that. I suppose you're actually going to be confronted for your views. Yeah. yeah. Here you can do it from home, and they're anonymously. Um, so, so um, and just like the amount of content you can consume very easily, uh, of course, makes it um, more dangerous. Before it, it took uh, books and very dedicated yeah. leaflets, pamphlets, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you know, if you look back 30 years, you know, unless you knew someone in the far right. Yeah. Even with the kind of political parties, you would rarely come across them. Mm-hmm. You know, you know that their stuff isn't in bookshops, isn't in news agents, or anything like that. You had to really know, and there was a real stigma attached to being, being you know, National Front or even BNP in the early days. Uh, whereas this, you can basically do it from your bedroom. Yeah. You know, and no, and one, no one would no know. One, no one's going to know. And and also the other thing as well, like years ago. You know, we were talking about nationalism, national groups, the British National Party, the National Front, the Front National in, in, in France. Whereas, of course, now, well, because of the internet, but also because of the ideology, which kind of they see themselves as like, you know, defenders, fighters in the kind of Western civilization. You know, it's a global community. And, and you know, when we look at the role of the internet and how it plays in terms of political action, the far right use it much more internationally than probably the kind of left do. Oh, you interesting, know, you yeah. Know, they, they, you know, so, so a group will come out on these really extreme sites. They, they will say, we are looking for members. It can be anywhere in the world, it doesn't matter. And then, and then you know, so, so you know, some, of the, some of these new groups might have t- only 20 or 30 people. Some of the pro-terrorist groups might only have 20 or 30 people, but it could be over, spread, spread over eight countries. Wow, I see, you know? yeah. And yeah, also, absolutely. You know, we just have no idea because they're all, you know, anonymous. And does that make it harder? You know, Nick, you've been doing this kind of work for, what, over 30 years, haven't you? And does that make it harder to do what you do and kind of track these people down? 
Certainly. I mean, when I first started, which was 1989 when I was living in Sheffield, um, you know, it was relatively easy to monitor the fire rate. I mean, like, you know, I remember in the first six months of me and my mate doing this sort of work, we had three people inside the far right, mm -hmm. you know, one in the British National Party, one in the skinhead movement, and one in some obscure group. Yeah, there wasn't anyone in South Yorkshire that we didn't know about. Yeah, fine. You know, and then they'd go on demonstrations, and we'd take photos of demonstrations, and, you know, because we had, like, people inside meetings, you'd have lists of people, they'd write out lists of who was there and everything. On the internet, I mean, they're anonymised, the numbers of them are massive, um, and they and they really could be anywhere, and they change their names, they change their profiles. So just trying to keep track of people is is really difficult. And I think the you know the other the other feature that what we're seeing now, there's so many different routes into the far right. Sure. You know, again in the old days, you know, it was either you, you either chose the political route, the British National Party, or you chose the kind of skinhead music scene and blood and honour, whatever. Um, whereas these days, you know, you've got conspiracy, the conspiracy theorists, you know, people who follow David Icke and then they go on the journey and, um, or you've got the kind of whole anti-gender um, equality agenda, the men's rights mm. movement and, you know, so there's so many routes into the far right now, so it makes it a lot more difficult for us. Absolutely. It sounds like, God, I can't imagine the challenge of trying to keep up with that. I mean... How, uh, what are your, I don't want you to obviously reveal all of your methods, but can you give listeners some kind of, maybe Patrick, this is one for you, an idea of how you keep track of these people? Well, it's it's quite simple, uh, really. I mean, they they want to get the word out of, sure. of their groups and ideas. Um, so we consume the material they produce and put on social media. Um, because, I mean, another effect of... Um, the online elements of, of, of the rising online element of, of how the far right organizes is they produce so much material about sure. it online YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, blogs, um, podcasts, hour and hour after podcasts. And they talk about what they do and what they think. And what so they're not, they're like hiding in plain sight almost, not, so, you know, hiding because it's anonymous, but they're um, in plain sight. <laughs> there's, there's, there's more more to it than that, but, but that's a very good starting point. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think as well, in, you know, that's in a way the public starting point. And as Patrick said, there's huge quantities. It's far more, the quantity was far more than was in the past. Um, but then, of course, the challenge is to kind of get behind that. Um, partly because sometimes they kind of put on a they put on a kind of moderate or respectable veneer on the front, but once you go behind, you see more extreme. And is that where you're talking about things like Telegram and things like that? Yeah. yeah. So, so, so it's it's the kind of use of in kind of cryptic platforms. You know, then there's the secret chat rooms, and so you you know you tend to find even in the public stuff. Once you start engaging, you then become trusted, and you get invited into like the inner core where they're even more extreme. Uh, but at the same time, we we kind of still do the old style infiltration as well. So at any one time, we might have up to twenty people inside these groups. Oh wow! And that's a combination of, in a way, anti-fascists going in, you know, becoming taken on the life, you know, the life of a of a far right, uh, because they, you know, our activists understand that information is power, and you know, we need to know what's going on. But also, you know, you tend to find that many people come to us who've been involved in these groups to say either, you know, we're sorry, we're changing your mind, or it's going too far. I mean, we had a case a couple of years ago where a young man who was involved in national action came to us and he just said people are going to start dying wow. you know, and I don't want to be part of this yeah. and because of him and him staying involved in this group 
um, we were able to uncover a plot to kill a Labour MP, which was only days away from happening. Wow. So, you know, I mean, some of the time people just sit there in the meetings and it's all quite boring, but then in other times we literally save people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. And we can't downplay can we the importance of that because obviously we've we've seen we've seen it happen you know with with joe cox haven't we and you know it's not that extreme but very recently we've had the case of that keeper being threatened and things like that and i know they're different ends of a scale but they're the same scale arguably i, I think it's it's not it's it's definitely something that we're we're facing what what kind of happens next for you guys do you get started on your next report straight away i mean if you have any kind of break in between i imagine it's quite um i don't know confronting dealing with all these all these kind of messages and things all the time are you straight back into it yeah i mean to be honest to be honest the moment that either the researchers stop writing this report or i and the production team stop produce you know stop the you know send it off to the printers we're straight into the next thing so this week now um well a couple of days ago, we, we launched a campaign to get a um, one of the groups that we highlight in the report, a Nazi Satanist group, Order of Nine Angles, banned as a terrorist group. So that's so that's now running. But you know, we've got various reports coming out over the next few weeks. We, you know, we've got various kind of conferences and some of our community work is you know will be taking the fall. You know, I mean, the thing about Hope Not Hate. Um, you know, and particularly the kind of Hope Night charitable side. We've got so many different entities. We have our schools work. We have we have our communities work. We have our faith engagement. So in a sense of we all take turns. We all have a week of doing some activities, and then three or four weeks later, it's back to the research loft. I mean, Patrick's doing some work now about conspiracy theories, and you know, it's 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 ever evolving. Absolutely, and your work is. More important than ever, I would argue, because, you know, you've got the police and MI5 now. They both say that one of the biggest threats in this country is far-right terrorism, don't they? I think people seem to be much more aware. You know, you, the, this is your area, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the general public are more aware now of the threat from far-right terrorism, whereas previously maybe all you'd hear about is kind of Islamic terrorism and things like that. And I think just this week, a police officer has been um, arrested in the Met, hasn't he, for being part of a far-right terrorist group. Do you see your work, I mean, you, I'm sure you're very humble, but as instrumental in that kind of change? Well, I think so. I mean, you know, I mean, I think we've, it's probably no secret that we've been frustrated for a number of years that we've seen the signs yep. coming for, for a while. I mean, probably you can go back to the early 1990s where some of this kind of, the theories of race war and te terrorism, state terrorism, started to come in, um, sorry, terrorism against the state started to come in from, from the US in the early 90s. Um, in the early days, it was just propaganda, and no one carried it out. But then we had the London nail bombings in 1999. So you know, this isn't a new threat. I think you know, I guess understandably, the authorities have been focused on the Islamist threat for a while. Um, but at the same time, you know, this has been growing, and it is growing, and it's important that. But it's important that both government and the security services take this more seriously and understand that the far right is not just old-fashioned Nazis and skinheads. And, but but also that communities can play a part as well. And I think that, you know, if we think about Yorkshire, 
you know, yes, action needs to be taken against those individuals who are trying to stoke up violence and trouble, but at the same time, more must be done to stop the breeding ground, which is in a way, you know, we need better integration, we need communities working closer together, we need resilience at a local, local level, which in a way pushes the, extreme, the extremists to the extremes. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's a really strong message to end on. Thanks so much, Nick and Patrick, for joining us. This has been Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire post-political podcast. You can get the podcast anywhere you usually get your podcast, whether that's iTunes, Spotify. Make sure you subscribe, leave us a review and tell your friends. We will be back in a fortnight. Thanks for joining us. If you're looking for a better tomorrow, start heading for it today. At Toyota, we started to look ahead over 20 years ago when we built our first self-charging hybrid electric cars. Now Toyota hybrid drivers are reducing harmful emissions and making a real difference. Thanks to them, the best-selling car brand in Ireland today is Toyota. And as more drivers join us, we'll all help to shape a brighter future together. Toyota. Built for a better world. Claim applies up to March 2021.